I'm excited about the guy that's coming up here today. He is a incredibly wise man. He has an amazing family. He has amazing kids. He is someone that I look up to personally. He's just a couple years ahead of me in, in his season of life. Just a couple. If I, if I can look like this guy in a couple years, I, 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 I got I to buff up a little bit, though. It's the rope swing in the back. You're just out there rope swinging it all day long. And so without further ado, Mr. Mike Crowey. Well, thank, thank you, Kip. Thank you very much. Welcome, everybody. Um, that was like a rock concert, and I have an analogy later on. Remember music and my message here. But, but that's what this is going to be about. It's going to be about praising God through all of this. Uh, let me get my notes straight here. All right. Okay, we are beginning this message, and I can't see you, so... Um, uh, this series on on God or the names of God, and I actually did a little bit of a my own little subtitle, knowing Him by His names, and I just want to bring that out throughout this whole series. Um, if we go to Matthew six, just to get some perspective here, Jesus actually taught us how to pray, and in that um, Matthew six, He says. It, not not to use those exact words, but to pray in this way, in this manner. And then in verse 9, he goes, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How Hallowed be your name. So what does it mean to hallow? It, it means to uh, honor as holy, to revere. So do we honor God's name? To live life to its fullest and to accomplish and experience all that God has created you to do, God and his kingdom must be first. God's not to be a one among many. He is to be the one. He is be, to be first. The problem in most of our lives today is that God is merely in the vicinity. He's not first. I hear people say that they just don't have enough time for God, which means they really are saying that God is not first place in their lives. And this is because a person will always make time for what's first, for what matters the most to them. So we're beginning this series, God. And as I've been preparing this message, I've just continually overwhelmed. And I'm, I'm overwhelmed with where to begin, but I'm overwhelmed with the emotions. Kind of like when we sing Amazing Grace, that feeling, when you know uh, about God, you just are overwhelmed with that. So... Where do we start? How do you study the God of the universe? He's always been there, and he always will be. Well, we are going to praise God. Whether we do it now, in this lifetime, or when Jesus returns, we will bow our knee. And I hope to show you a taste of how wonderful and worthy of our praise he is. As a church, we're going to lead you through this study of some of the names of God's. And it's not going to be all-inclusive, but it will be powerful. We as a teaching team are blessed to bring this to you, to be teaching and telling of the great God we have to worship, to explore, to enjoy, and to trust with our lives. We can only scratch the surface here, and we can only tell you some of the attributes, but there's enough. I mean, I, I found so many calendars that say, you know, this attribute for today, and they just go through day after day all the different attributes of them. But the power is in the relationship with them. So I challenge you, or God is a relational being, sorry, and he's longing to be the focus of your life. My challenge to you is this. Get to know him on your own. Spend time every day 
And I don't mean just check it off. I mean spend some time. Think on these names and these attributes of God. And as we go through it, you'll see how God loves us. He provides for us. He watches over us. He's there for us, and he is with us. He's beyond all we can comprehend, but we need to try. That's our purpose. Please pray with me. Father, I come to you uh, for me. I want to be a vessel for your word, but also for everybody hearing this, that there'll be fertile ground to open, open to change, to uh, uh, this overwhelming sense of, of you, of all that you are, and, and that you're with us, and that this was all done because you love us, and you have to express that love. I just pray that that all comes through, and that we'll all be lifted up, and this world will be a better place after today. Thank, amen. So I'm beginning with the name of God that is Elohim. Elohim is creator. It's omnipotent. It, it also conveys this message of the triune God. And Elohim, in its original language, is grammatically a plural word, but it doesn't mean more than one God. It's one God that means so much. It, it means strength or power. It's displaying his supreme power, sovereignty and faithfulness, and his covenant relationship with us. I, I, it means all of that, and I'm going to try to hit on all of those. I want to convey this overwhelming nature of God as creator with order and purpose, I want you to understand that he created out of love. And finally, I want it to touch on the fact that God sustains this creation. So he didn't just create and walk away. He sustains it, and he recreates us. So where do you begin with anything? You always start with Genesis. Start Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if we break this down just a little bit, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the created part. But in the beginning, so before us, and think about this, before time, it, it's hard for us to comprehend not knowing time. But before that, before anything that you know that you've conceived of, there was God. And, and he's the Alpha and the Omega. That's what that means. He was before the beginning. He, before all this that was created, God was there. So, and we'll actually have a message on that, the I am, that name of God. But I want to go to this underlined word created. This comes from the word ex nihilo. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, which means out of nothing. So imagine he spoke... And from his words, everything was created. And I want you to know that his words are here. And when we have that relationship, they have that power. That power to create is in his words. And that's what he created everything out of. So we begin here. Why would God choose to create this universe? Why would he create time? Why would he create you or me? Well, he chose to create us. God is love, and love is best expressed toward something or to, towards someone else. So God created the world and you and me as an expression of love to express his love to us, but then also to, to be loved in return. He wants that so, so much from us to, re, to return that love. Okay, and I'm going to talk about creation here, but I don't want to talk about creation as just science. 
I want to study creation with the creator in mind. So look through to the creator. And also I don't want to make creation the, the idol or the object of our adoration. I get so amazed at, at this combination of sound that we heard a while ago is a creation. But I don't want to worship that. I want to worship the creator through that. You know, it's just, I keep getting amazed at this. When we study creation, knowing that he loves us and with the idea of the creator, Elohim in mind, science is joyful, it's purposeful, it's enlightening, and it's exciting. In fact, it's not just science. It's discovering God. All right. The next most basic thing I could think of when we're talking about science is the periodic table of elements. All right, everybody calm down because <laughs> we have one. <laughs> I can tell you are as excited as I am. All right. Uh, people have been aware for thousands of years about the elements such as gold and silver and copper. And if you're a geek like me, there's lead and there's tin. There's the gold and the silver and the copper. They're all on there. And we've known about a lot of these for several thousand years. But many have only been discovered recently in the last 150 years. But... Um, in 1817, 1830s, uh, scientists began to notice some, some patterns, and they started to see some order, and they started to, to group these uh, elements in uh, triads or groups of three because they noticed that order in their atomic weights. Now, in 1863, John Newlands, he was an English chemist, he proposed the law of octaves. So... All of you that know music, you know what octaves are. There's this repeating uh, properties, or if you will, in, in chemistry. And so every eighth one is a repeating in these atomic weights or, or their characters. Now, this musical analogy was ridiculed at the time, but was found to be very insightful because it actually anticipates more discovery and, and additional level of order the way that God's designed us. There's multiple levels of order in the way he's designed us. So indeed, more have been discovered. Even in the last 50 years, this table that we currently have wasn't always that full. So right now there's 130 on there. And uh, this last 30, I'm sorry, 118, this last 30 was just re re discovered in the last 50 years. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But I don't want to skip over just these elements. God designed the world to have all this potential. So you look at that and you see an individual element, and, and there's a lot more you don't see that went into this, uh, this. It's amazing the more you study this. But God's designed the whole world to have this kind of potential for our betterment, for our discovery, and our enjoyment, and ultimately worshiping him. That's why he designed it. Science without recognizing God cannot go beyond this table for answers of our origin or our purpose. We can understand to a point, and we can even create many inventions, but with only ourselves as the motivation. So this is the reason we must use God's word, so his revelation about our, our origins, about his design, about the purpose he has for us. Without recognizing God, we become the highest purpose in our minds, and this is where disorder begins. So I want to show you an example of, of an invention that's created a revolution in our lives. Does anybody have a smartphone? 
<laughs> I know it was kind of a silly question, but it's a revolution. When, when was the iPhone specifically, the iPhone smartphone, uh, released to the market? Anybody know? I heard a couple mumblings. Uh, Apple released it in, in June of 2007. So it's only been eight years. But in eight years, we forget that revolution that it has been. It's, it became the first mainstream product to rely on a multi-touch glass screen allowing the tapping, sliding, pinching that we know is second nature now to us in writing emails, determining directions, even hailing a cab. And the reason that such a powerful device can sit comfortably in the palm of your hand is that it relies on nearly half of the elements on the planet. That's all right, you don't have to put it away. Uh, to make it, the glass screen works due to a dash of the rare metal indium, which serves as this invisible ink. Uh, it's a transparent conductor between the phone and your finger. A dusting of europium and terbium provide brilliant red and green hues on the screen. Specks of tantalum regulate the power within the phone. And I know you've all heard of lithium, which stores the power that makes the phone mobile. Rare metals are also crucial to the manufacturing of the iPhone's components. Cerium buffs the glass smooth to a molecular level. So rare metals are everywhere. In couches, in camera lenses, computers, earphone buds, bridges, and cars. They're rarely used alone or as the primary material. They're, they're kind of like the yeast and pizza. Without that small amount of yeast, there's no pizza. And without rare metals, there's no high-tech world. So how much do you use your phone? Or should I say your handheld computer? The benefits of an invention like this should be bringing us closer to understanding the creator we live with, that he's created us. It should be allowing us to be much more efficient in communicating, in stewarding, in studying, and enjoying life to be better at loving. Think about that for a purpose in your life, to be better at loving. Okay, I read verse 1, Genesis 1-1. We're going to kind of blow by verse 2 because of time. And let's go to uh, Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated light from darkness, and he called the day, the light day, and darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. I have to mention light, because it's everywhere. It's so in necessary for our lives. But I just want to point out that God created light before he created what we normally think of to be the sources of light. So before the sun, and before the stars, where we think we get light from, God created light. Understand that. He created light before it was needed, before it was necessary for plants to live, before us. God creates in order, and he's, it's amazing. We can't even guess at this. If we move on to verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and he separated waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So this expanse, the separation of water, 
Water is another thing. It's like light. It is integral to our whole life. So let's think about water for a little bit. God's presence can be detected even in this most commonplace substance like water. All of us have physical bodies that are mostly water. God provided the water for our, our life. Our planet, too, it's, it's three-quarters of water. It's close enough to the sun to provide that liquid water and that's necessary for life. But if it was just a little bit further away in miles from the sun, uh, all that water would become ice. So while water itself is a very small molecule, just three atoms of hydrogen and oxygen, it's a primary ingredient of our planet. So this simple little atom is life-determining. In fact, NASA recognizes that in most of the, the projects that we send information gathering technology on is to find water so we can suppose that life might be there too or it might sustain life. Let's see. Water, yeah, God's design on how the water, the specific molecules behave and its impact on our planet is an example of God's creative design and custodial presence. So he's still here maintaining the laws that regulate atoms and all of it, gravity, all of this. Water expands when it freezes. And this may not sound like a big point, but most things contract when they freeze. But water expands. And if you drive down the road in the winter, you know that water freezes and expands and blows up the road. But it takes up, ice and snow take up more volume than the same amount of liquid water. And this makes water denser as a liquid and when it's frozen, so the ice floats. That's the point. Ice floats. If ice didn't float on the surface of the water, the floors of the ocean and lakes would be covered with glaciers of ice that would never melt. And that would be a bad thing. The surface ice also helps to regulate the climate by reflecting energy. Um, as a liquid, water's temperature range is perfect for cycling the water from the oceans to the sky and back to the land. Water requires a lot of energy to, to evaporate into vapor, and it releases this energy when it comes back into the liquid. And this balances the temperature in the Earth's climate as well as inside our li living cells. If less energy re were required for evaporation, then streams, rivers, lakes would evaporate too quickly. They wouldn't run and create the beauty and the dissemination of life that we know it now. So here's a question for you. When you studied the hydrologic cycle of water, was it presented with a sense of awe or reverence for a creator? Well, I think it should be. We have beautiful clouds and sunsets, and they're through light and water vapor. Think about that. These simple things that we take for granted create such beauty. Inspire, they inspire praise for our creator who forms them. Because God's creative presence is shown even in commonplace yet needful things, we are blessed by the huge quantities of water that flow through our biosphere. All right, verse 9. I promise I won't take this long on each day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters were gathered together, and he called these seas, and God said that it was good. And I just want to point out here that 
in that land, when he created it, it wasn't just the elements of dirt or these, all these pockets of elements together. He created potential. So it was formed ready to produce the seeds that were ready to grow. When he created land, it had potential. That's how God creates. He gives, he creates with purpose. Okay, verse 14 in Genesis 1. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And I love this part. And if you ask my wife, I got really excited about this because if you go back and look at that, it says, and the stars. And it's like, oh, by the way, boom, there's billions of stars. And he named them all. We learned that later on. So God created these billions of stars in three words, something like that. And he set this all up for us. God gave us time. He gave us direction. He gave us a way to measure them both with the sun, the moon, the stars. And he threw beauty in just because he can. So I've got some pictures here, uh, if they come up. Yes, these are from NASA's website, and there are thousands and thousands of them, and they're free to grab to use, because I checked on that. And, uh, <laughs> but God created all this to bring us joy, to give him back glory. So there's a couple more if we want to just flip through. That was, that first one's a starburst galaxy. This is a galaxy cluster. See, notice the different colors. And then finally we have this nebula supernova remnant, whatever that is. <laughs> All right, I just want to share that beauty with you. And you can have this on your phone if you subscribe by Twitter <laughs> to the NASA website. All right, let's move on. In uh, Genesis 1, verse 20, God said, Let those waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heavens. So God created all of this. And I just, I want to highlight it. I, didn't, I don't want to just read over it. I want you to understand the creation that he put together for us. And we see order, and we see repeating things, the things that worked in one animal. He made it in another animal. But we are, as Kit pointed out to me, the only ones that have the opposing thumbs that work really well for us. There, there are things about us that make us special, but all of creation is there by his create, creativity. All right, we're on the fifth day. Let's move on to the sixth day. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. So he filled the sea earlier. Now he's going to fill the land. Bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now this was all before lunch on the sixth day. <laughs> but I want to stop and think about this for a minute, and how... When we study nature, it reveals wisdom. Wisdom enables us to understand reality. We go out and we discover. We see, we knock on things, we test them. We find out what reality is. And through wisdom, we've discovered a set of scientific laws that elegantly express reality 
in the language of mathematics. So whenever, whenever man learns the logic of the universe, man is, in essence, thinking God's thoughts after him. So we've, all of a sudden, it's been revealed to us, uh, this new idea that we think is new, but it was God's idea first. So let's give him credit for that. A correct understanding, if you will, of understanding, therefore, is that we humans discover and implement wisdom. We do not invent it. There's an unfathomable amount of applied knowledge, and I'm talking about our cumulative. Everybody, for all of history's cumulative knowledge that was used to invent the universe. And to pre-program it, its interactive workings is a source of beyond our imagination wonder, which means omniscience. He knows it all. He knows everything. He brought that to us, to give to us. David the psalmist asked, in light of the stupendous power and quantity displayed in the heavens, what is man that God is mindful of him in Psalm 8? How could a creature such as a human being to begin to comprehend the wisdom built into this interactive universe? To the extent that we humans have any wisdom at all, much less wisdom necessary to understand a meaningful amount of the universe's workings, and our understanding is itself more amazing than the physics of the universe. Think about that a minute. Your ability to even start to comprehend him we're inanimate until he breathed life into us. And we begin to understand. We have this, this ability to have a relationship with him. It's only by God's creative grace that human creatures like us can think any thoughts at all, much less thoughts that are logical and analytical enough to be called scientific, because God's wisdom is displayed in the universe itself. And also, in our human ability to comprehend that universe, we owe a great creator God an ongoing debt of thanksgiving and praise. Okay, let's finish with day six. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And, he let, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I just like saying that, creeping things that creep on the earth. <laughs> Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, this created is not just made or formed something. He, he formed us, he, he made us, but he breathed into us. And we are made with order, and we're made with purpose, and we're made with creativity. And I don't know how to explain all that very well, so I got two videos that I want to show them to you. And this first one, and these are from the Institute of Creation Research. That's another very good organization. Um, this first one is called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. And uh, we'll see if you get as much out of it as I do. Okay. So everybody picked up on the oxygen element, right? Because I showed you the periodic table. All right, uh, the all-or-nothing design, but it's special design, too. And it's not, just, it's not just for us, like he said, to survive. It's for us to thrive. We're, we're adaptable within a certain range, and God's designed it that way. We are designed to be whole. And this isn't 
to be a slam on the theory of evolution. This is to give God glory. I just want to bring that back to him for the way that he designed us to, to recreate, to multiply, to live our lives. Okay, I've got one more video here. And there, um, this one's, I just think it's really cool. Uh, it, it mentions the Fibonacci number sequence. So look for that one uh, in there. But it's about the hand. Okay. The, uh, that part about the typing, our brain plans ahead about three strokes ahead. Is that, that was that next section, three finger strokes ahead or keystrokes ahead. In there, I wanted you to pick up the hand can do all that versatility. It can work, but it can also show affection. You know, by holding somebody's hands, helping them, God gave us that ability to be purposeful, to be useful, but to express love. And we express that love to each other by helping each other. Uh, that Fibonacci number sequence, a mathematician, Leonardo Fibonacci, kind of ran across this, discovered it. Uh, the, these themes that were running through creation, if you will. I don't think he know, noticed the hands, but he noticed it in sunflowers and pine cones, in the way the Parthenon is built with the golden triangle ratio of, of uh, that building structure. There's a golden ratio in a spiral, the way that shells, and you saw that shape in there. So it, it is amazing, and there's so much more for us to discover. Let's look for that. Okay, let's move on. And God blessed them. This is verse 28 in Genesis. He blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over uh, birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I wanted to highlight and just spend a minute on this because we are a young church, but we're, we're full of couples or people looking to be married in relationship. And I want to highlight why marriage is important. Marriage, it's, in, in our contemporary society, it carries a, lot of, a great deal of controversy, and it's developed a complicated history. And while most discussion revolves around us, our rights to marry, if we look at this passage of the way God designed us and the nature of his creation, then we see it's a picture of our covenant relationship with him. The highest good of marriage is to bring glory to God. And we do that by worshiping him ourselves, by exploring him and, and living in that, that moment, dwelling in his presence, and then passing it on. So we teach, we learn, we teach, we instruct, we discipline in a, in a manner that respects God and the way he's created. It's a symbol, it's a model, and it's a plan put forward by God for his own glory and for the good of all mankind. Symbolically, marriage serves as the icon of God's love for his people. Moreover, marriage plays a central role in the flourishing of a society by creating a microcosm of God's economy of love. Think about that. You get to be your own little society of love, if you will, or disorder, if you will, but it's up to you. By saying yes to marriage, each partner commits to represent what God has already done in Scripture, although we do it imperfectly, 
when the two individuals seek to forge their lives together in this sacred bond of unity, they take on a different identity altogether. They become one flesh. And then that's so much more in God's eyes than what we treat it, the way we treat it. So the, the role of marriage is to be an institution where we create family. And family is this institution in which we cultivate virtue, we display love. And society is made up of families. And in marriages that bond husband, wife, parents, children, they're at the most fundamental level. Marriage is the glue that holds society together. So just in case we have any weddings coming up in the near future, this is a way that God has designed marriage to be. All right. Genesis 2, and I'm not going to go all the way through it, but 2-1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. So he set it apart, and it serves as an example for us in resting in his presence. And we do that. We take Salo weekends, but you need to take that. God set it up to be weekly, and, and that's an example, an, an interval in your life that needs to be recognized and, and praised him for. So I'm not going to take much longer, but, I, but God did not stop by being involved with creation when, just after he created it. There's this ongoing work of the creator in sustaining life in limiting the effects of sin, and then recreating us to be more like Jesus. So I, I want you to imagine, or just take a second, as we study God, think about him being holy. And, and he's, he cannot be present with sin. You can't have holiness and unholiness together. It's not logical, and it's not God. He will not tolerate sin, and he must be separated from it. So as we study these names of God and we prepare to celebrate the coming of Jesus during the Christmas season, I want you to see this as God, Elohim. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And as Jesus was, came to us, he's creating a way to reconcile us and our sin back to God's presence. Jesus came to earth as our mediator, he brings us into alignment with the Holy God, and that's in 1 Timothy 2. So knowing all of this, I just want to call you to recommit, to commit to following Jesus. It takes time, but it was meant to take time. God created time for us to live in it, to live with him, to get to know him. Jesus is this pace setter. He's our pace setter, and, and obedience is the key to our relationship and our growth with him. So let's dwell in his presence and know and continue to marvel at his creation. Uh, let's understand that God is love, and he created all of this as an expression of his love and to be loved in return. And finally, that God provides a way to recreate us by the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin and to be accepting, and by accepting Jesus as our Savior from the punishment of sin. He came and he paid for all of it. All we have to do is accept it. John Piper was quoted as saying, God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him, God, look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that he really is. This is what it really means to be created in the image of God. Now, 
I'm going to re- just finish up really quickly here, but I want to challenge you or give you, just give you a, a spur here as you dwell on the presence of God. And go to Psalm 145, and I'm going to read the first, uh, actually four verses, but I want you to dwell on it this week and pray it. Give praise back to God, the creator, Elohim. It says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Praise the Lord. 